There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Since October of last year, they've only added 10 fully staffed ICU beds in the public system. Last October, again, official figures, you can find them on the HSE website. In October 2020, 14th of October 2020, it was 279 fully staffed, fully available beds in the system. Yes, they have a surge capacity, but we're looking at the ones that are actually fully staffed and fully available. 279. Today, 289. They've put on 10 in the year. They can... And they can't deny it. It's, it's, it's there. That's all that's there. 10 more. Now, Andrew Flood has been keeping some very interesting stats throughout the pandemic on the way things are going and modelling based on the numbers that he can get. Uh, Philip Nolan this morning has been saying on national radio that, look, there's cause for concern, but not alarm. We're nowhere near as dangerous a situation as we were this time last year. And there's no reason for radical emergency provision or emergency measures right now so no panic is effectively what Professor Philip Nolan of Neffet is saying Andrew was on his Twitter doing the graphs you've been doing them for ages now and you're back doing them again R- remind me again Andrew of your own background and, and, and uh, you know how where mathematical, mo- mathematical modelling comes into your skill set, good morning Good morning. Um, I think modelling might be a bit grandiose uh, in terms of what I'm doing. Uh, it's more that early on in the pandemic, I realised that, a, you know, when you're talking about exponential growth, and I think a lot of people uh, find that a hard uh, concept to grasp, uh, in a lot of ways, it's just like compound interest on a mortgage. Yeah. Um, and if the interest rate is high, then you get in trouble very fast, even if you haven't borrowed all that much. Yeah. Um, and I think that is probably, in a sense, what Nolan was uh, talking about, uh, this, uh, that bit you quoted him, because we've gone through periods where cases doubled every three to four days. Um, and that, that happened last December, and it happened in the initial period of the pandemic and rapidly led to disaster, mm. whereas at the moment we're looking at about a 35% increase each week. Um, and that means even though we've high cases, there is a bit of time before yeah. we can see if we're really in a, in a, a bad crisis. Or this what what he's been saying this morning is that mathematically it's nowhere near out of control, which is a, a better place than we were, a far better place than we were this time last year. Just your own background before we go into what you're making of the figures. 
Um, so my background, basically, I, mean, I, I would make no claim to be an expert. Uh, I have an undergraduate degree in biology that's over 30 years old, uh, but was enough for, to enable me to read a lot of the research papers that come out. And I had a, an existing interest in understanding data, uh, specifically in, in the context of opinion polls right. and things like the election of Trump and Brexit, but also the repeal referendum here. So I kind of went into the pandemic uh, being very used to looking at numbers and trying to understand what numbers told us. Sure. And because like a lot of people, my initial reaction is what the hell's going on here? Uh, I just started doing that at first for myself, and then I started posting it on Facebook and Twitter, and it turned out a lot of people were interested in tracking that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I'm not a modeler. Uh, I'm more like uh, you're driving from Dublin to Cork. Uh, we're doing 100 kilometers an hour, and I tell you it'll take two hours to mm. get there at this speed, but if we go to 120, we'll get there in an hour and 50 minutes. You're what we'd uh, call in politics an active number cruncher, a good tally man. Exactly. It's something along those lines. Okay. So what, I mean, Philip Nolan has said this morning, talking to Claire Bourne, look, there's concern here and, you know, we have to watch it, but there's there's no cause for panic just yet. Would you agree with him? Uh, I think that's, yeah, that's a reasonable evaluation. Yeah, yeah. I, like there, there is, ta- it's not, like the obvious comparison is last December, I think, uh, when we very, very quickly went from 400 cases a day to within three weeks, we were, we were up at about 6,000. Um, you know, and that's not what we're currently looking at. It looks a bit more like the wave we saw last uh, August and September, where over two months, what started off as a small problem became a much bigger problem. Uh, now, the problem we have is that we're not, st- like last August, there were five deaths, uh, you know, and you were looking at sort of 100 cases a day. Now we're looking at 1,500 to 2,000 cases a day. So we're, we're at a much higher level. So that means we have less time. It's not like we've months. Mm. But there's definitely a space of, you know, a couple of weeks before things start to become a problem. Mm. Uh, you, were, you were talking about ICU there, and most, I mean, it, it's obvious there's already a problem in terms of the hospitals. I mean, there was a, a picket of hospital workers at Connolly uh, in Blanchardstown at the start of this week saying, look, we're already overloaded. But most estimates I've seen say that the point at which you seriously start cutting into healthcare uh, is around 100 ICU beds. So at our current rate, we might hit that in two to three weeks. Yeah. Uh, but we're not going to hit us, you know, by the weekend. And that was the problem we had last December is it, by the weekend is what you would have been looking at. Yeah. Uh, well, I remember, so I tweets, I remember in tweets in December and January where we were looking at 200 people in ICU. Yes. Yeah, well, it peaked, it peaked at over 200. But in fact, when we locked down, we were below the level we were currently at. Um, and the reason we locked down at that point wasn't just because there were, I think, about 50 in ICU at that point, but it's because that number was obviously doubling really quickly. Whereas now that's not the same situation we're in. The number is increasing. But in fact, ICU is is interesting because it's increasing relatively slow in relation to uh, hospital cases, um, which may be something, maybe due to vaccine. I don't know what exactly the reason for that is. Yeah. Well, Kingston Mills from Trinity was on with me earlier on this morning and he said one statistic that we don't get, which would be very useful, would be that in terms of daily case numbers, like yesterday was 2,000, we don't know how many of those people were vaccinated. And we also don't know what vaccine 
they'd already had. And he said, for immunologists and epidemiologists, mm. it would be much easier to analyse the data if we knew that. Would you agree with him? Uh, yes, broadly speaking, I think so. And in and, and particular because what we've seen over the last week is a shift in the proportion of cases from uh, younger age groups to older age groups. Now, the older age groups are mostly vaccinated. Indeed, in theory, everybody over 70 is vaccinated because you know, there's 102% and 103% of the, of the populations, they're vaccinated. So there's obviously a concern that what we're seeing is a greater number of uh, people who've been vac- fully vaccinated but are still getting COVID. Mm. Um, and it would be it would be useful to know whether or not that is the case or if it is it the case that actually those cases are mostly in the now very small unvaccinated population. But uh, if you get an outbreak in a particular uh, community that, that that is unsure about vaccination for partic- uh, in particular, say particular marginalised groups where vaccination rates are quite low, then maybe that's where we're seeing a lot of these cases coming from. We, we simply don't have that information at all. Kevin is um, making a very valid point as well uh, on, on Twitter, Andrew, that comparing this year to last year should also only be done in the context of, because of all the restrictions last year, we practically didn't have a flu season. We're going to have one this year. Yes, yeah, I think that that is going to be a really big problem. And it, it's uh, also in terms of uh, pediatric child hospital, uh, there's a big problem that in that we're already at the start of what looks like a large RSV um, uh, uh, wave, which was sort of expected and hospitalizes lots of kids every year. Um, so that they, I mean, like yeah, we, we, we already know that the pressure flu puts on the, the health system around Christmas is such that lots of stuff that should happen can't happen does it you know it has to be put off for a couple of months and adding covid in on top of that even if it is quite low cases uh, you know even if it is 60 a day up 60 in icu at the moment and that looks like it's only a fifth uh, it can still have a very large impact because you're yeah. also having the flu impact in on top of that and then you're also having all the all the delayed care from the entire pandemic yes so you know as i said that's that's why i mentioned that picket at, at Conley by healthcare workers at the start of the week. Uh, I think, in terms of listening to what healthcare workers are saying, they're saying well, we're already in a crisis. Yeah. Uh, you know, and COVID is 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 not going to help that. Uh, so I think that possibly uh, Nolan is probably right in terms of the COVID level, but not necessarily on the overall healthcare level. Mm. And to be honest, I think that's a problem with the pandemic. It affects every aspect of society, and who can possibly be an expert on that? Yeah, great, great care apply, uh, required. People can follow you. On Twitter, uh, Andrew, um, and take a look at your graphs. Uh, it's at Andrew Flood uh, on Twitter. Um, very interesting analysis right throughout. And thanks for that. Um, he kind of agrees with Philip Nolan. That's just a, a layman with a, a background in green science and interest in data and opinion polls and number crunching. He agrees with Philip Nolan. The time for caution, not time for panic. Quartz 96 FM. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.